Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest Providence Journal College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, from my Warwick home on a Tuesday morning with a winter wonderland outside. At long last, the snow has arrived. Uh, I am joined by my usual two co-conspirators. First, the sports director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishian Coit on WEI Providence. Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, how are we living? Great, buddy. It's almost March. It's almost March. And all the possibilities are out there. They exist. Before we came on, I was talking about the words could, would, should. We're, we're lining up all the scenarios, but this is the time of the year where we finally get the answers as to what's going to happen here with all these teams. As we start this podcast, we are less than 15 hours away from March and uh, anticipation ramping up. Also joined by the sports director at WPRI and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury, how are we doing, babe? Good catch. Good coit. Let's roll. Let's roll indeed. The best time the college basketball season is upon us. Uh, for some folks, the final week of the regular season, for some folks, they've already finished. And conference tournaments are coming. And we will start with the URI women in, uh, you know, in that way because the Rams have finished their regular season. Uh, they will travel to Delaware this week for the Atlantic 10 Women's Tournament. And guys, they will do so on the back of a historic regular season. Uh, URI claims a share of the Atlantic 10 title. Um, they will be the number two seed in the conference tournament. That comes off the back of a win Saturday against Dayton in Kingston, 81-57. Tammy Reese, her staff, her players cutting down the nets at the Ryan Center. Uh, something that, that frankly, I never thought we would see before she got hired. Uh, this program had, had been a wasteland for years and years and years. One NCAA tournament appearance, that was in 1996. Uh, otherwise, more sub-500 seasons than contending seasons. And when you consider what she's done in four short seasons there, having them play at the top of the conference the last three, uh, it is a remarkable turnaround. Uh, they start A-10 tournament play Friday at 5 o'clock with a quarterfinal in Wilmington, Delaware. That's at the 76ers G League facility in Wilmington. Um, you know, But, guys, just a, a remarkable story in Kingston. Really is. And it's a program that, you know, I we always say that, you know, programs are a reflection of their coach. Uh, teams are a reflection of their coach. And... It's been infused with a lot of energy. It's been infused with a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, and those are qualities that perfectly describe somebody like Tammy Reese, who's brought all of those things and more to this program. Um, clearly, these players uh, love to play for her and, and their staff. Um, and the fact this year, too, that there was a lot of turnover from last year's team. Uh, and, you know, a lot of players had to step into new roles, had to step into larger roles. And they were able to do it. Um, and there's still a little bit of youth on this team, too, in terms of, a you know, a couple of their players. And so, like, uh, 
you know, yes, they brought in, you know, it, it's a perfect mix, I think, of like, you know, players that were, you know, younger players step into bigger roles, but also grad transfers, you know, and, and players they brought in from from elsewhere, you know, to put together the the perfect mix of a team that's now a, you know, a co-Atlantic 10 regular season champion. Um, and I think it's it's a well-built team. Um, and it's, as you mentioned, Bill, it's just, it's remarkable uh, because as Tammy said on, on Saturday, you know, when she first coached a game there, when she started building up the program, there were 30 people in the stands. Half of them were the men's team and two more of them were her parents. And it's like, well, there you go. So, and that's where they started. And then on Saturday, they're celebrating with a, a crowd that was filling the lower bowl. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a very similar conversation we're having right now to what Jared Grosso uh, has done at Bryant. You know, a lot of those conversations last year when they won the NEC regular season uh, at this point on the calendar before they had punched a ticket to to the big dance was, you know, he him making, uh, you know, jokes about three to five people being in the stands and all of them being family members of, of his as well as his associate head coach, Phil Martelli Jr. Right. Um, but yeah, with, with Tammy Reese, she goes into the portal and a lot of times you go into the portal, you want, you know, those power five transfers who are coming down who have that that big time experience. Uh, I think Tammy did a really good job this year of blending in very good talent, but more from within their level of play um, to make sure they could get over the hump and they could win a championship. And and she poached a lot of players from the Atlantic 10's best teams. Um, familiarity with the league, important. Uh, with the venues, with the road trips, those types of things that I don't think can be overstated. Um, not only you know does the talent on the floor matter, but but all of those intangibles uh, matter as well. So uh, she was able to to put the right pieces together. Uh, they've got an A10 regular season championship now uh, in their back pocket, and uh, I hate to be this blunt about it, but you know this season now will be judged uh, on this upcoming weekend. Uh, as cruel and as harsh as that is, they are. You know, right now, as of today, on Tuesday, Charlie Cream of ESPN put out his latest bracketology. He's got them one of the next four out. Uh, we talked last episode that, you know, they probably won't be able to slip in even if they do get to the championship game and lose. Uh, however, um, this is the harsh reality of the business. It's a tough business. Coaches say it all the time. They're judged about the, you know, they're judged by their performance in March. And uh, they've got three games in 72 hours to uh to, to put an exclamation on this season. Yeah, it's a one-bid league for sure. It, it was trending that way for most of the season and, and was confirmed uh, when URI lost at Fordham and UMass lost at St. Louis. Uh, you know, those two teams, had they won out all the way to the A-10 title game, had they both been one-loss teams in the league, maybe we might have seen an auto-bid and, and a first four, you know, that type of scenario. But um, that's not how the last couple weeks of the regular season played out. And so you're looking at URI as the two seed in the bottom half of the bracket. Uh, they're down there with St. Louis, who's the number three seed. St. Joe's, who's dangerous as a number six seed. They pushed URI hard in two games. Uh, George Washington, who's the number seven seed. Those are your likely opponents uh, for a quarterfinal and a semifinal. Um, you know, but just looking at, at Saturday, and it was only fitting that it was Dayton in my mind, guys. You know, Dayton obviously broke their hearts last year, two wins late in the season to claim a regular season title. Uh, Tammy Reese has, has been very candid about the fact that she couldn't really get her team back after those two games. Everything was about winning the regular season, winning a championship, and when they when they fell short of that, that team was broken mentally. 
uh, lost to St. Joe's in the first round of the A-10 tournament, lost to Quinnipiac in their first WNIT appearance on their home floor, and they were done. And, and you know, such a great season last year. It sort of landed with a thud late. And you're looking at this group. You see them lose a heartbreaker at Fordham, uh, a game that Anna DeWolf makes a crazy last-second shot, three-pointer, to win by one in the Bronx. And, and you're thinking, well, what's the response going to be on Saturday? Now, the, the advantage they had was that Dayton's poor, struggling, rebuilding, uh, you know, their tailor-made opponent to beat in, in a situation like that. But they still had to go out there and do it, uh, and they did so impressively. Um, you know, you're looking at the balance in the lineup. Madison Haddix-Covington played one of her best games of the season. You know, had 21 points in that game, led four players in double figures. Uh, really, Dayton was never in it. Um, you know, URI steamrolled them like they did so many other conference opponents earlier in the year. And so I guess you, you could take encouragement from the fact that they had a really good 40-minute performance going into what could be the three most important games of their season. That's what Tammy Reese said after the game too, Bill is like, okay, this, the encouraging part. Yes, it's great. We're celebrating. We're cutting nets down. Awesome. She knows what's coming up. She knows that her team put on a really good performance. Um, you know, and the foot came off the gas in the fourth quarter, but the game was already in hand at that point. The, the way that they came out in that game and led by, I believe it was 29 at halftime. Um, that's certainly a, a, a thing to be, you know, encouraged about, um, and you're right. A lot of different contributors there. I thought, I thought Maya Torrey came out on fire, um, you know, and I think it, it sort of set the tone, um, you know, and just the transition play. Um, they just, they've got a lot of weapons and you saw them on display on Saturday. And that's, that's an encouraging thing going in the tournament. Yeah. You know, Maury made the point, the way that they were able to refresh this roster and, and Tammy reiterated that after the game. Uh, the fact that they lost 70% of their scoring and rebounding from last year. Uh, you know, and she's able to get Haddix Covington from VCU. She gets Emma Squires from Richmond. Uh, she gets Sayani Lassiter, who's played at Florida State and, and Rutgers. Veteran hands at the point guard position. Um, you bring in Tenen Magasa, who missed more than half the season recovering from shoulder and, and Achilles injuries. Uh, you know, but now she's a factor down the stretch. She comes in from Dayton. Uh, why the mass exodus for the Flyers? Because their coach, Shauna Green, went to Illinois and, and is on a short list for National Coach of the Year, according to Naismith. What you or I was able to do, and you give them administrative credit for this, you give Thor Bjorn and his staff credit for this, they are able to retain the coach. They kept Tammy. There was interest there last year from Virginia, her alma mater, from Syracuse, which is a place where she was before as an assistant. Um, URI gives her a unprecedented 10-year contract extension, paying her base salary that's higher than they've ever paid a women's basketball coach. Uh, you know, we hear Ed Cooley guys talk about it all the time that championships are won by administrations. They're not won by coaches. They're not won by players. It's an organization that does it. And in URI's case, this was organizational commitment from the top down. Uh, you know, so we should recognize Thor Bjorn for the hire he made and for his ability to double down and, and retain Tammy Reese is critical uh, to land him at this point. Yeah, no doubt. You've got the practice facility coming in, too, and uh, it, it really looks like the future is bright, you know, for, for the women's basketball program, you know, specifically as, as we're touching on right now. 
you know, you 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 go forward a couple weeks here, you know, maybe they have to rip that contract up and they have to make a new one. Um, because it sure sounded like on Saturday, and you know, um, I think it's important to have this conversation of like, all right, she said, you know, this was the goal. You know, when I came here four years ago, you know, I wanted to make sure we won the A10 regular season championship. I want to win the A10 championship, get to the NCAA tournament. Okay, well, now that she's done that. Does she feel like she's gotten to a point where she's sort of maxed out? I don't believe so. I think you can play your way into at-large conversations down the road. You know, you're an A-10 program. You can schedule a lot tougher in the out-of-conference. But now that she's sort of checked this off, okay, that goal's behind you. She didn't want to leave without that, without doing that. If they have a really good run this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, maybe she does start to look elsewhere or at least pick up the phone again. And you have to rip that that contract up and you got to start over or you got to bump her up a little bit um, in order to continue to keep her because, uh, you know, OK, so so she doesn't take Virginia, but Virginia is a middle tier, bottom tier type of school in the ACC. What if a top four job comes open in the power five, you know, around the country and they say, Tammy, we'll double or triple your salary. Right. She's only making four hundred thousand dollars a year. Is that great money in women's basketball, especially where you're at in URI? Sure. But, you know, th- that life changing money is is a million a year. Uh, life changing money is charters everywhere. Life changing money is power five. You're at the top of the Big Ten. You're at the top of the ECC. You're at the top of the Big 12. Uh, we'll have to see what, what's really important for, for her personally uh, and if she really wants to continue to make this place home. But if they have a really good weekend this weekend uh that 10-year contract that she was just given that extension uh less than a calendar you know less than a calendar a year ago uh could be could be down the drain yeah you you hit on some good points there and and what you just outlined is the reality of the business uh you know the fact that coaches want it to be easier for them to win no matter where they are and that includes more money for my staff practice facility, which is scheduled to be open, you know, maybe late summer, early fall. Uh, are we chartering everywhere? I never want to get on a bus again. Or are we going to charter everywhere? Um, what sort of money will I have available for NIL? Because that's going to help recruiting. Uh, you know, do I have a little more in the pot there? Am I going to be able to pay a freshman coming in or a transfer coming in from a power five who could really help us? Um, how much am I going to be able to promise? I guess the the main point, and I ran into Steve Napolillo uh, on Providence's campus yesterday, the athletic director at PC. The main point that we were discussing is if you are not moving forward, if you are standing still, you are being passed. Uh, because other teams in your conference, in the nation, are constantly working to get better. And and a lot of that is has to do with off the floor. Um, so how much more can you or I offer? They've certainly grown this fan base. They've grown this program exponentially in four years. Uh, will she want more? I, I know she's uh, a homeowner in East Greenwich. She's comfortable here, has a great relationship with Thor Bjorn. Those things matter, certainly. Um, but as a program, how much more can you pledge to her and to her staff and to her players? I, I think that's important that you or I continue to show ambition off the back of this. And and ultimately, I think that informs a lot of coaches' decisions when it comes to should I stay or should I go. So, Maury, you wanted to add something? Yeah, so so the floor is high enough now where, sure, the, those those middle-tier, maybe bottom-tier Power 5 conference jobs are gone. 
you know, the relationships are strong enough. They've made a big enough financial commitment. She's in a great area. She's, you know, close ish to home that the idea of, of doing that type of jump doesn't seem appealing to her, but it's now, can you close the gap between the middle tier bottom part of the power five to uh, a, a, an upper middle tier or top tier team? If URI can can continue to extend, then the jump to a top power five school won't be as lucrative. You, but URI's got to continue to make that push to your point, Bill. Like, like you have to continue right. every year to be moving forward. It's not just like, hey, we can kick our feet up. We just signed, you know, our coach to a 10-year extension for $4 million. We started the coaches show. All's going to be great. No, because she's got friends in the business and her phone's going to be ringing and people are going to say, hey, we want to go get that woman. Uh, you know, Tammy Reese, who's done a great job. Uh, if you're a, if you're another power five school that, that's got a chance to be a year in and year out at large contender in the tournament. She's also well, got a, she's also got a college roommate in the business and a former backcourt mate in the business, Dawn Staley, who is at South right. Carolina running the right now the premier women's program in the country. Sorry, UConn fans. Um, and Dawn Staley is someone who's going to play in the final four every year, have a chance to win national titles. Which brings the question, Tammy Reese is a very competitive person. If URI misses out on the NCAA tournament this year, despite going, say, 25 and 6, uh, you know, and can only get into a WNIT, I know that's one of the reasons Dan Hurley left Wagner. You know, certainly he was going to find a bigger stage. But his second year at Wagner, he went 25 and 6, and they didn't even get into the NIT, the, the Northeast Conference. The schedule of that league was, uh, you know, the strength of that league was so weak that he decided, I need a bigger stage. And and that was part of what got him to Rhode Island. Uh, you know, so at the end of this season, if, you know, if they don't make an NCAA, if if they, you know, fall short this weekend in the tournament uh, in Delaware, do, does Tammy look around and say, you know, can I get into a conference where if I finish in the middle of the league, I'm still going to have access to the NCAA tournament? Um, you know, am I going to be able to recruit players where my net ranking is going to be high enough? My, you know, my non-conference games, my strength schedule out of conference is going to be good enough where I can go 12 and 6 in the league, uh, you know, 12 and 8 in the league, you know, 11 and 9 in the league and, and my non-conference games and, you know, the strength of my roster and my strength schedule are going to drag me into the tournament. It's interesting when you look at it from a business perspective, the competitive side, and then you weigh that against relationships and how comfortable she is and what she's building here. Um, you know, it's a fascinating discussion. This this is sort of like uh, you know, a little bit of inside baseball in in this way. You know, we're sort of peeling back the curtain on the discussions that you have with coaches, the discussions that they have with their athletic directors and and with other athletic departments who would like to speak with them. Yeah, I'll add this. Um, you know, I, I think you were you guys were hinting at the fact that, you know, Tammy's a homeowner here, whatnot. She sounded on Saturday very much committed to, you know, trying to win at Rhode Island, build a program, whatnot. But th those words sort of struck me because they were the same sort of words I heard in April when she got her contract extension. And it was very much about building a program, building into the community making sure that kids come out to these games so that in the future, you know, years down the road, they want to play for this program. It's building it up. It's building it up. And, you know, that also thought, you know, I'm thinking in my head, like, 
you know, you go somewhere else, you have to start over again, even if it is a power school, whatnot, um, and trying to build it up there. So she's got momentum here with this program. And so she wants to try to continue on that. The other side of that, as you guys said, is you're building momentum, but you've got all this momentum right now going into this weekend. And if you don't win the tournament, you're likely not getting to the NCAA tournament, which is your ultimate goal. And that can be disheartening, if you will. And so that's why I'm sure, as Bill was mentioning, those thoughts could you know, creep into our head. The other thing I'll say, too, is the fact that, you know, I, I will give URI credit in the fact that in the past year, last year at this time, guys, we were talking about how, you know, URI, if they were going to, you know, land a, a big fish, a big name, quote unquote, for their men's job, they were going to have to commit resources. They were going to have to commit to certain things. And they did. So we got to give them credit, as, as you mentioned, with Thor Bjorn and, and keeping Tammy, the contract extension. They made the commitment with Archie Miller. They, they said, we, if we want Archie Miller, this is what we need to do. And not only, you know, Thor Bjorn, but I think President Parlange, too, I think is a, is a big, big advocate for athletics on that campus. And I think everybody together is working together there and saying, like, we need to commit to this because we know what it can do for our school. And they did that with Archie. And so it'll be interesting to see here. They did that with Tammy, too. Now you've got more momentum, as Maury was mentioning, could mean another contract extension, a new deal, that sort of thing. I'm interested to see where it goes. But so far in the last year, you know, URI has made that commitment. One more thing I'll say. You guys were talking about, like, you know, big power programs and some of the things that come along with that and charters. I'll never forget when Brown got to the, the final four uh, in men's lacrosse. Lars Tiffany was the coach. And then obviously Lars Tiffany after that season takes the job at Virginia. He came back that fall for the words unlimited uh, dinner, the media dinner in Warwick. Right, right. And I saw him, interviewed him, talked to him for a couple of minutes. And I was like, Oh, when did you get in thinking like, Oh, maybe he flew, you know, this is just me. Cause I'm a normal human who doesn't have big money jobs or resources like this. Uh, I'm thinking like, Oh, he must've flown in commercial, something like that. Oh, no, no, no. We took the, no, we took the charter, took the jet down here, got into Warwick, whatever from, you know, from the school, from Virginia. And then we're going to take it back tonight after the dinner. And I'm like, wow, that's what a power program can do. And so when we talk about those resources, that's, I always think of that. Cause I'm like, that's big school sort of resources. And that's, that can be the appeal of going somewhere else. But right now, Tammy's here and URI has committed to her. Yeah, all, all the credit in the world to URI and what they've done in the last calendar year, no doubt about it. Uh, I'm sure fans that are listening want to, you know, chop my head off and put it on a stake. And, uh, you <laughs> Mine know, too. Mine too. I'm right you know, there walk, with you. Walk, walk, it, walk, talk. It, walk it around. But um, this is just the reality of the business. It's the reality of our world. Money talks, right? And, and college athletics uh, are waiting for nobody. Uh, teams have more money out there. Programs have more money. There are bigger boosters. There are bigger donors than the ones in Kingston. That's just the facts. And if you want to keep up with it, then you have to continue to make that, that promise and that pledge selfishly for us. Yeah. We want Tammy to stay the next 20 years and she'll be, you know, we'll be having these conversations every March and there'll be a top one or two seed in the conference tournament every year. Great. It's not up to us. You know, there, there, there's other there's other factors out there that, that hold a lot of weight. So this is just the reality. Uh, this is an open and an honest conversation. And 
that's all that I feel like, you know, we all try to give each and every week. No, I'd, I'd love to see her stay for an extended period. I'd, I'd love to see where this can max out. Uh, I'm really intrigued by that. You know, you look at the crowd the other day at the Ryan Center, 1952, which is three times what they averaged before Tammy Reese showed up here. Um, you know, they've sold more tickets this season than they have in any other. Uh, you know, they are now among the Atlantic 10 leaders in, in attendance. Um, but there's still more to do, um, you know, still more to do. And if you're a head coach, I, I think generally what you look at and you say is, how are you going to take care of my staff and my players? And and if that uh, is something where URI continues to show ambition, then your head coach will be in a good mood, uh, I would imagine, because it makes her job easier. It makes it easier to sustain this, uh, makes it possible to grow it even more and be even better in, in future seasons. Um, you know, you could be a perennial power atop this league if you're able to keep Tammy, her staff members, and continue to bring in talent in Kingston. And, and that's certainly something that we'd all like to see um, because it has been fun these last couple of years uh, and long may it continue. Um, place that really has it going right now, we will look at, we will shift to the Providence men, guys. Uh, they have a big week coming up here, obviously. Uh, does not look like they will defend their Big East regular season title, but still a lot to do over these last couple of games. They could still secure a very high finish in the league. They would be the number two seed going into Madison Square Garden at minimum if they're able to win against Xavier and Seton Hall at home. They start off with the Musketeers Wednesday night at the Amp, uh, a game that's going to go a long way towards where the conference seeds shake out going into next weekend at Madison Square Garden. Uh, guys coming off a, a scrimmage victory at Georgetown, 88-68. Uh, the Hoyas look checked out. They've quit on Patrick Ewing, disband that program and start over. It's pathetic to see what's happened there. And honestly, programs like Providence and, and Seton Hall should be thankful because it's allowed them to carve out a niche in this conference to be upwardly mobile in this conference with Georgetown and St. John's and, and what should be power programs, power brands on the mat. Uh, Providence has stepped into the breach. They've made organizational commitments. They've retained Ed Cooley for more than a decade, despite overtures from Michigan and whoever else. And you're seeing it now, how important that is, because the Friars guys have lost one home game in the last 37, 13-5 uh, and five in the conference. They could finish with 15 Big East wins, which would be a new program record, uh, snapping a record that's only one year old. Last year, they were 14-3 and three in the league. That's the most conference games they'd won. Prior to this, um, you know, so looking at Providence going up against Xavier, we were out at media availability on Monday, uh, confident group, loose group, exactly where you would like them to be uh, going into some of their most important games of the year. I, I, my takeaway, guys, is I feel like they're ready to go on Wednesday. I, I feel like they understand the, the gravity of the moment and more times than not over the last couple of years, they've been able to rise and meet it. Yeah, and I, I think it's. They they get contributions from different guys every night, and and that's uh, that's a credit to you know this team, the coaching staff for having everybody ready. I mean, it's look, I know as Bill said, it was a bit of a scrimmage on Sunday, um, but the fact that your best player, Bryce Hopkins, goes down out of the game, you know, three fouls in the first before the first media timeout, like you know they had to adjust, and they did. Um, and you know, we saw obviously that, that lineup on the floor with, uh, Ed Croswell and Clifton Moore playing together and, 
you know, some of the size that you had there. Um, you know, I feel like I, I mentioned Ed Croswell on every podcast we have right now, but I mean, consistently guys, he, he's just doing it all. And the former ABC the... six intern, Ed Croswell, <laughs> they only hire the best over there. Uh, he's, he's uh, obviously we got a peek behind the curtain of just how great of a kid he is. Um, but we also have seen on the floor, you know, as a player, fellas, the fact that he's just consistently good, consistently contributing for this team. And the fact that he got the triple crown, the triple belts, and got the chief of dimes on Sunday, I think was very, very impressive too. Uh, the fact that he had six assists, um, even though he says that his team, some of his teammates call him the black hole sometimes, so they kick it into the paint. Um, but yeah, I just, the kid's consistently good. Something about playing DC too for Jared Bynum. Um, you know, obviously he played well. Um, even in the UConn loss, I think we saw shades of, of, of Jared, you know, sort of getting it going here with his shooting. I thought the first half, he was probably the bright spot of that yeah. game. Yeah. Um, and so if those two guys are, are heading into March playing well, you know, add that to, you know, your athletic guy in Devin Carter, add that to, you know, your all around guy in Bryce Hopkins. And all of a sudden you look very, very dangerous. I would not want to play the Friars in March if all those guys got it going. No, not at all. Uh, and the most impressive part, I think, I think about this season is that I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier to pop in in, in one year. And we had this conversation the, the very beginning part of the year when I brought this up. It's like, all right, you're picked to finish seventh or eighth in the conference last year. PC was down there. And, um, you know, you have a chip on your shoulder. You've got some experience and you pop. You have this one magical year. What can you do the next year when the target's on your back, when you become a little bit uh, bigger of a brand name when you were on that national stage in the sweet 16 it's pc now being able to revamp and retool in terms of the players they brought brought in uh current players like an ed croswell have been able to grow and blossom into uh key starters um for for a team and you know he's even been you know better than nate watson uh, at points this year uh, and as a whole, stats-wise, he, he's definitely been better than Watson was last year. Um, so so that's that's been eye-opening. And uh, the other thing is going into tomorrow on Wednesday, uh, I was just looking. You have to go back to the 18-19 season in which Providence lost the first game of a regular season series against a conference team and then lost again the second game at home. So they a they rarely get swept, but b it's even more infrequent when they lose the first one on the road and then lose the second one at home. And we asked Ed Croswell that yesterday when he was available to the media, like, "Hey, is there just more intensity when you have a, a team a second time around and you lost the first time and you've got your home crowd behind you?" Um, so you know, could Xavier come in and, and beat Providence? Sure. Uh, it just doesn't feel that way based on, you know, the, the way that obviously their body language, the way they acted yesterday in practice that we saw them and the confidence they, that, that they have in their building. Uh, 31 and one in the last two years, Gonzaga and UCLA are the only two other programs to have one loss uh, on their home floor the last two seasons. So, um, you know, as Ed Croswell said, it's the house that Coach Cooley built. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, with, with the game being the last one with students in session on campus, uh, before they leave for spring break, uh, it will be quite rowdy for a six thirty tip. 
Something tells me quite a few of those students are going to hang around for the uh, Saturday noon tip against Seton Hall as well. Uh, I would have to think that um, they could start spring break with with a little uh, little boozy brunch, uh, you know, prior to tipping with the Pirates. Just please don't throw anything on the floor, guys. Just just don't. Okay. If we see that Wednesday, we are going to publicly hammer you like more than we already have. It, it's it's going to happen. Um, yeah, it's pathetic. Just, just don't. There's no need to do. Maybe that. don't use the word hammer when you say hammer. You know, I meant hammer in terms of the tool, but not. No, yes, I know. Yes, I you're know. Right. Yes, I you're know. Right. That's why. Yes, you're right. <laughs> right. I, I could have chosen it better. You're right. You're right. Um, you know, I, 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 I guess though, like, you know, I could have said ripped, but we could use that another way. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I know. You know like, you know, you tough. can go anywhere with that. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, but I'm I'm thinking back to last week, guys, and and you know, obviously it's only Georgetown, right? But defensively, Providence was a lot better in that game than they were against UConn, where where they got shredded at times on offense, uh, you know, and and really struggled to to defend the Huskies. Suddenly, high octane Huskies under Dan Hurley, which uh, I mean, her, you hear plenty of complaints in in Connecticut and and previously in Kingston about. Um, you know, his offense and how they're just defense first and they don't score enough points and whatever else. So they put it on the Friars pretty good, especially in the second half. Uh, and if you look at points per possession, UConn was at 1.36, um, you know, which, why is that significant? It's the highest number that Providence had given up all year by a significant amount. Uh, you know, the previous was 1.26 in a loss at Marquette. And Marquette's one of the top offenses in the nation, uh, top five team in efficiency, according to Ken Palm. So, you know, Providence really got worked over uh, in that game against Connecticut. They come back against Georgetown, and they're at .97, which is much better, much more in line with who they've been under Ed Cooley. Uh, you know, and certainly if you look at, at Xavier, a team that can score it, uh, Seton Hall's a little more gritty, certainly, but... You look ahead to the Big East tournament, you could run into Creighton, who could score it, Marquette again, who could score it, UConn again, who could score it. Um, that defense will travel, would be able to carry them into the most important games of the year. Uh, you know, and I would imagine that that was a point of focus after they lost at Gamble the other night. Yeah, I would think so. It was good to see the improvement. I, You mentioned UConn again, and I just, guys, I, I can't get over how much of a behemoth how impressive Donovan Klingon is to me. That kid is holy cow. Seven foot. You just see him in the flesh like that. Um, I mean, that is a tough matchup for anybody. If you're if you're Providence, I, if you're anybody in the Big East, I, I don't want to see UConn uh, in the Big East tournament next week. I just I think they're starting to peak. I think they're starting to look like the team that they did. Um, you know, here I am fueling the the UConn fans here. Yeah, UConn. Uh, you know, but it's true. Like I, I just. I think Hawkins has played better. I played better in the U and the, in the PC game. Like it, you know, whew. I mean, you know, they played at Gamble. It's tough to win on the road. Um, you know, that's why the, the Marquette win at Creighton, I think would just so significant um, because it's just been so hard to win on the road. And the fact that they do that, um, you know, they deserve, uh, they deserve all the accolades coming their way with the likely, you know, big East title guys. You know, I asked this question about a month ago, um, and there was some, you know, obviously there was, I think, a, a larger pool, I guess, of candidates. But you know what? I'll ask the question again now because we are eight days from the award ceremony. Big East Player of the Year, fellas. Would it be Tyler Kolick? 
If I had a vote, he'd have mine. Best player on the best team. A lot of times mm -hmm. coaches vote for that. Uh, Marquette mm -hmm. is at Butler tonight as we record this. Uh, Marquette wins. They win the conference title outright. Um, and they'd still have one more chance. They have St. John's at home in their last game of the year. St. John's is as dysfunctional as the day is long. You, you'd have to think that there's no way they're going to go into Milwaukee and, and beat Marquette. Uh, I would be shocked if that happened, uh, especially if there were real stakes there. Um, Marquette's up into the top 10 this week in the AP poll. I think they're six they're right six. now. Um, you know, and this is a team that preseason was picked ninth in the league. And, and as we've said on the pod throughout the year, Tyler had a rather profane evaluation of the coach's uh, thoughts there at Big East Media Day. Um, but it gives you an idea, the chip on that guy's shoulder and the chip on that program's shoulder. And, and a lot of that is fostered by Shaka Smart. It, it's a very similar ethos that served him so well at VCU and, and made them a really rugged contender in the CAA and, and in the Atlantic 10. Um, you know, and obviously Kolek, uh, I mean, if you look at what he's done this season and you know, the way that he's just taken ownership, uh, you know, on one of the best teams in the league and, and in the nation. Uh, it's just so impressive how he continues to grow as a player in influence. Um, you know, he he keeps pushing the ceiling higher. I I, I really, I, you know, I've said this multiple times on the pod. I, I just, I did not see this player at Cumberland. I, I did not. I, I did not. And, Two of the most difficult parts of the sport are evaluation and scheduling, uh, you know, because you are projecting young men and what they will be four or five years from now, whether it's from a physical perspective, character perspective, uh, maturity perspective. Um, that guy's got all three right now, uh, you know, and certainly on the mentality side, he's as tough as they come, um, you know, and he plays every night like someone stole his lunch money, like he's angry at people. Uh, you know, and that that's taken him a long way. Uh, if he is the Big East Player of the Year, I, I don't really see. I, I mean, certainly people have complaints, and and you know, if you look on social media, of course they will. Uh, but I don't really see how you could say that. You know, he would be an un an unworthy and undeserving winner at, at this point. Yeah, I, and I think I mean, who's the who are the contenders there besides him? It's it's probably Bryce Hopkins, right? Um, and then you know, I think. Sule Boom was in the in the in the conversation, but Xavier has had its kind of ups and downs, I guess. Um, you know, I, other than that, guys, I, I think those are probably the three names that come to mind. And I think, as you mentioned, best player on the best team, and the fact that it comes from a team that was picked ninth in the preseason poll, ninth. And like you said, Bill, like that that is such. Oh, I love it, Tyler. That that is that is a New England thing. Well, at its finest it's just like, is, is what do you great. oh my goodness it's just like <laughs> bleep them i mean that is if you're if he was if tyler kolick said that and he was playing for the boston celtics oh and they my were god picked ninth preseason in the eastern conference and they finished first everybody in boston would have t-shirts they'd right. have bumper stickers they'd have all these they'd have towels they'd have uh, footy pajamas that say bleep them on it like all of that seriously like it's it's just it's beautiful but you're you're so right bill the chip that it's given him on his shoulders and you know tyler was already improving as a player as we've seen um 
it's it's just added the fuel to you know what has become a really really great player and you know it's funny you talk about the evaluation thing he's obviously he was a good scorer in in high school we knew that can you think bill off the top of your head what his best offer out of high school coming out of high school was uh, well, he had some A-10s. Um, you know, I know Richmond yeah. was involved. Uh, you know, I know there was uh, St. Bonaventure was there. Um, you know, pretty certain that you had, uh, obviously, George Mason, which is where he committed. Um, you know, but he he had you know, pretty much peaked at, at A-10 interest. That, that was pretty yeah. much the best he could have done. Uh, you know, pulling up his offers here on verbal commits, he, he obviously, he commits to George Mason. Uh, now he's at Marquette in the transfer portal. It's a little less documented, of course, but you know, his offers coming out of St. George's out of the prep ranks, he had Northeastern, Bryant, Wofford, BU, St. Bonaventure, Bucknell, Holy Cross, Canisius, Vermont, Ilan, Siena, Towson, Penn, Lehigh, Richmond, Mount St. Mary's, Robert Morris, New Hampshire, NJIT, Columbia, Brown, Hartford. That's so sort good. of, you know, mid-major-ish. Uh, the yeah. A-10 is the best league in there. Um, you know, a couple good Ivies, obviously. Uh, a couple other teams like like Bucknell, who, who are good in their league, in the Patriot League. But in terms of anything like Big East or Fringe Big Ten or Fringe ACC, no, nothing like that. Yeah, and so it sort of speaks to, you know, the fact that I'm sure evaluators looked at it and said, well, you know, he could be, he could be this. Did they see him getting to this peak, this level? I, I, I don't know. Maybe you don't see the, you know, the, the growth that he's had physically too. You know, do you predict that? You can't really predict that, right? Like, so that, that's probably part of it. Um, part of it's the work that he's done in his game, becoming a distributor. Um, it, it's sort of the name Obi Toppin pops into my head in terms of like a guy that was like, you know, and I think Obi was probably more under-recruited coming out of high school. Um, you know, and then the fact that he goes to an A10 school, go figure, Dayton, and then peaks the way that he has, uh, and he did. Um, you know, that's sort of that that pops into my head. But you know, the other thing I think this whole you know situation for for Tyler at Marquette speaks to is the fact that opportunity, fit, coach, belief, all of that comes into play. Tyler has gone to the perfect place for him, a coach that fully believes in him had a vision for him and he's thriving under that. Um, I think that also speaks to where he is. And so situation can do, you know, wonders for you um, as well, but he's, it's a great story all around. Great story. It's the classic case of the transfer portal, helping a kid and, and it gets so much negative light and negative chatter around it. But um, to go to St. George's, you're a little bit older. You go to George Mason, you take advantage of your opportunity there. He's a mature kid. He works hard. He's mentally tough. And that's where, you know, the transfer portal uh, helped him. But once he was the A-10 rookie of the year to then take that next jump, I don't believe it's hard to say, but I don't believe if he went from Cumberland and if he stayed in public school or, or came from St. George's and went to a program like a Marquette right away, that he would have had the same success. Uh, he needed that. He needed that first step. He needed that reassurance, that confidence boost uh, in the A-10 to play on a team that really wasn't that competitive. Uh, George Mason and Greg Paulson's last year there, um, you know, in Virginia, he gets that year. And then that, that continues to, that, that continued to allow him to, to unlock his, his potential. 
Um, you know, and it, uh, you know, like I said, and there's just so much talk about, you know, transferring, transferring up it not working out, you know, going to a big school, transferring down, it's still not working out, caught in the flux. You know, Tyler was able to take advantage of of the benefits of of why the transfer portal uh, has turned into what it is. Yeah, he has the number one assist rate in the Big East right now, 39.3% of possessions. He's number five in the country in assist rate. His three-point shooting has jumped 10% this year. Last year, he's 28% from three. This year, he's 38% from three. That's more in line with what we saw at George Mason. His two-point shooting has jumped almost 16% from 37% to 53 I think that says a lot about comfort level, about getting to his spots on the floor about physicality and finishing at the rim, uh, that's growth and development as a player. Um, you know, you look at his turnover rate, he's cut that down by 6%. Um, you know, so you just consider how much better he's gotten just over the course of a year. And a lot of that is familiarity with Shaka Smart. A lot of that is adjusting to the level that is the Big East and, and Marquette's schedule versus George Mason's schedule. Uh, you know, but you're seeing a guy on the exact trend that you would hope a college player would take, which is that steady upward progression throughout their career. Um, and at this point, he he's hit uh, a place where he is one of the best players in one of the best leagues in the nation. Uh, and so you're curious whether or not Marquette will be able to finish that off tonight. Um, you know, and obviously they they would be a team who depending on Big E's seeding, uh, they're a team that Providence could see in Saturday's championship game. Uh, right now, the Friars, if they're able to win out, would be on the two-line, um, which means they'd be in the bottom half of the bracket. Marquette would be in the top half. Marquette could have a very difficult semifinal against UConn, who's looking like the number five seed. And, you know, for Providence's purposes, finishing two or three certainly gets you an easier first-round game in a quarterfinal. Uh, certainly would get you... A better second round game, I think. Um, you know, I'd much rather play Creighton or, or Xavier than be trying to play Marquette. Uh, the other thing for Providence is you go to Madison Square Garden, it's like a home game against some of these teams because the Friar fans do travel very well there. Uh, you know, the UConn fans as well. Uh, yep. They'll be very comfortable in that venue, maybe more so than Creighton will, uh, you know, or somebody else like that. Uh, you know, so for the Friars, an interesting week ahead. That starts Wednesday night against Xavier. Uh, you know, I know you guys will be there. It'll be a great night at the Amp. Um, another team who is playing for their postseason lives, and that is Brown, guys. We, we've got a one-game playoff, essentially, on Saturday for the Bears to get into the Ivy League tournament. They control their own destiny. They will host Yale at 730. Uh, that'll be a doubleheader for me. I'll do the Friars at noon. And then head over to the east side to Pizzatola Center to see if Mike Martin can finally get over the hump and get this program into the postseason in his league. Uh, Brown has given itself that opportunity by going to Columbia and winning and getting a little help elsewhere with Cornell losing at Yale. Uh, Brown currently has one game lead for that fourth playoff spot in the Ivy. The other three have already been decided. Uh, Princeton, Penn, and Yale will be in the field in some order. Um, that fourth seed is up for grabs, and Brown could claim it if they beat the Bulldogs uh, on Saturday night at the Pistola Center. They, they've done that by beating Columbia 84-73, uh, a game where they got pushed in the second half. It was tight, and then Brown authored a good finish. Uh, Keno Lilly Jr. with 23 points in that one. Paxson Wojcik, another 
strong all-around effort from him. 20 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, only two turnovers and two steals in 37 minutes. That's how you need veteran guys to play in such a huge game. Uh, and Pax and Wojcik was able to deliver for these guys. So now guys all to play for. Saturday night against Yale, uh, it's going to be a great occasion. Hopefully they have a great crowd on the east side uh, because it would be fitting and deserved uh, to see Mike Martin's group and and to see whether or not they can finally get over the hump here. You know, Paxson has been so good for the Bears um, throughout Ivy League play. There's probably one shot through Ivy League play that he would love to have back, love to have an opportunity at, and he's basically going to get the opportunity at on Saturday. And that's him at the free throw line in the final minute of the game at Yale, where if he makes the front end of a one and one, if I'm not mistaken, right? It was a one and one. He probably buries that game. And Yale, I don't know where Yale probably rallies. I'm sure they probably put it together. But at the same time, Brown wins that game on the road. Yale's one and four in the league kind of changes the trajectory a little bit at the time. Um, and Brown might already have the spot locked up. Uh, it's just, it's wild. It's wild how close that is. That's the great thing is that you get another opportunity at Yale. High stakes on Saturday. I'm sure, I'm sure Paxson of, of all guys looking at that and saying, like, gosh, we should have had him the first time. Should have had him the first time. Now you get him on your home floor, chance to clinch an Ivy Madness spot for the first time in program history. Um, you know, and Keno Lilly had a great outing against Yale last time out too. And this is, yeah, this is when they, I believe, lost Kalu Anya uh, to injury was the Yale game. And so this is a team that they played well, even without Kalu on the floor. I think we've gone through the second round of Ivy League play and saying like, okay, well, you know, they didn't have Kalu, you know, they had Kalu the first time around, had Kalu the first time, whatever, whatever. You know, these guys, I think, have played Yale. They played them well on the road. Um, and so I'm sure that gives them the confidence going into Saturday that, you know, they can they can play with these guys um, and they can put out a, a good performance, you know, obviously with, you know, the high stakes, you know, being at the, the front end of that. But it's exciting. I give Mike Martin and his staff, you know, a, a lot of credit for the fact that they've gone through some injuries. They've gone through some tough things, but they've gotten this group to buy in collectively on. Everybody that is on the floor needs to contribute in some way, shape, or form in order for us to have a chance to compete in these games because we've been shorthanded in some areas. Um, and all of these guys have really bought in. It's It's been really, really fun to watch. Yeah, here's what sums it up perfectly. You want to know how big this game is Saturday? Ed Cooley's most likely going to be there. He said so himself uh, in his availability on Monday. You know, his good friend Mike Martin's got a chance to make history, continue to make history after becoming the all-time wins leader in program history as a head coach a few weeks ago. Uh, There should not be a single seat open there in the pits on the east side when when the ball gets thrown up at around 7.30 on Saturday. There just shouldn't. It's it's a conference tournament game uh, in your backyard. Uh, and, and and everybody should be there. It's it's a perfect day. You've got PC at noon, potentially Bryant at home on Saturday, which we'll get to shortly. Uh, and if Bryant's got any say in making that quarterfinal time, they should make it around three thirty or four o'clock. And then you've got the nightcap uh, with Brown at seven thirty. Um, yeah, this is it. I mean, Brown's got Mike Martin has. Uh, has earned a ton of respect in the region, a ton of respect in the league. Brown has been good, but the the 
mantra around the program is they haven't been good enough. If he gets them into a top four seed, considering the injuries they've dealt with the last few weeks and the guys they graduated last year, two program pillars in Tamaning Cho and Jalen Ganey, and the talent that he's had even before then with your Brandon Andersons and Zach Hunsaker's guys like that, uh, quite quite a hat tip to Brown if they can if they can pull it off and um, again much like URI women like we talked about earlier in the podcast they will be judged you know based on the result of Saturday night. Yeah, it's uh, you know how how does Mike generally start with us? You know we're playing to win an Ivy League championship. Well, they can't do that this year, um, not in the regular season anyway. But you could still do it in the tournament if you're able to get in, and and that is. Ultimately, what's at stake on Saturday? Uh, Dartmouth and and Harvard are, are both out of the mix. They're both five and eight. They're two games back. Uh, you know, the three teams who are already in the tournament are, are two games ahead of Brown. So it's it's a two team league at this point. Brown and Cornell, they're the two teams playing for the four spot. Uh, you don't want to rely on tiebreakers here. I have not done the math. I am not that smart. I do not know what would happen. You well, know, if Cornell loses. Here's... If Brown wins. If Brown loses, all that stuff. Have not done. It. I I think Bill like mutual victories or whatever, and you know somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think the Yale, I believe that Cornell has two wins over those top three teams, and I think Brown has one. It got swept by Penn. They beat Princeton once. They lost to Yale. I believe Cornell has two wins. I think they beat Penn, and I'm pretty sure they beat Yale. And so like if it's down to tiebreakers, I think Cornell gets it. And so that's why. It, if you beat Yale, you get that second win, and you're already there, and so that's that well, puts you in. So all three of those teams are nine and four, and the tiebreaker mm-hmm. starts with descending order. Who's going right. to finish first? No idea. Going into the weekend, they'll play those games this weekend, uh, and then we'll do the decimal point derby. I, I genuinely cannot do this <laughs> uh, in terms of math. I have no idea what's going to happen. I let the Ivy League handle that. They're smarter than me. All I know is that if Brown wins its game against Yale, there in the tournament. Uh, And the good part about Saturday night, 7.30, is all the other games in the league will have finished well before tip will start on the east side. So Brown will will know. They'll they'll have it all figured out. Um, And maybe, you know, which would be a little anticlimactic, but, you know, if they do lose, but they know going into the game that if they lose, they still get in – you know, you can know that scenario beforehand, but uh, you always want to take a step forward into a conference tournament as opposed to back your way in. Right. Like uh, Cornell could lose at home to Columbia. Like that's that's possible. Sure. Uh, Ken Palm says 89-71. They give Cornell a 94% chance to win that game. So, For sure. you know, let, let's not uh, – I mean, granted, that's a way that they could backdoor in. Yep. Uh, you know, but I, I think it's highly doubtful that – Brown sure. is sitting there with a Cornell loss, uh, yes. thinking, well, we can play Yale and it really doesn't matter. You know, let's yes. play the walk ons on senior day. Uh, you know, who really cares? No, um, no doubt. And, and certainly they wouldn't approach the game that way. You know, Mike's no. going to play to win, I, I would think, for the exact reason that you said, Maury. You, you do want to take a step forward into this sort of thing. You, you do want to continue to play well. You look at Brown, they started 0 2, they're 7 and 4 in their last 11. Um, you know, their overall record at seven and six, it, it's, you know, it doesn't look the sexiest, but if you take the first two games out and you consider what they've done since then, 
with a shorthanded lineup, um, you know, with some tough games on the road schedule on the back end, it's, uh, you know, more road games than home. Um, you know, they've certainly done a, a great job to give themselves this chance going into Saturday night. And, uh, you know, ultimately you, you hope that they're able to pay it off over 40 minutes uh, against the Bulldogs, 7.30 tip at Pizzatola Center. Um, you know, obviously another team could be playing this weekend uh, in a conference tournament, and that's Bryant. Um, you know, Bryant finishes up with a trip to Maine, uh, you know, and then ultimately will start America East tournament play. Will that be at home? Will it be on the road? Depends on final results here. Uh, you know, they are still in a race with New Hampshire, who they swept. Binghamton, who they split with. UMBC, who they were swept by uh, for that four seed. Uh, and that, uh, well, actually, I take that back. Three seed. For the three and four seeds in the America East, uh, both of which would give you a home game in the quarterfinals. Um, you know, so Bryant coming off a loss to Vermont over the weekend, 70-66. Vermont has won this league again. They've won or shared the conference title seven years in a row now. Uh, I did not think we'd be sitting here talking about Brian at eight and seven, just trying to scrape a home game. Um, but here we are. And, uh, you know, the Bulldogs just over the course of the year haven't been consistent enough, haven't been good enough uh, to merit a top one or two seed, um, you know, to earn a chance to play at least a semifinal on their home floor. Um, you know, and so here we are. You're at Maine. You have a chance to finish the year on a decent note. Uh, guarantee yourself a, a home game in the first round of the playoffs and, you know, maybe try to build something into the America East tournament. Yeah. And it's, it's been an interesting road, um, you know, and I, I think the ups and downs are reflected in the record and where Bryant is at. Um, I think we've repeatedly heard Jared Grosso talk about, you know, I think trying to find some of the, you know, consistency in his team Um you know, and that's that's been a struggle. There's been times where Bryant has looked like the team we thought, you know, they they could be that received first place votes in in the preseason poll in America East. There's been times where, you know, they've they've struggled. Um, and I think as we've talked about on this podcast, you know, America East has been a I, I think a step up in competition. There's no off nights. Um, you can't take nights off even against the teams that are near the bottom of the standings in the league. They're going to push you. Um, and so, you know, they've, they've gone through some things. I think the top two teams in the conference are where they're at for a reason. Um, they're talented. Vermont, as you mentioned, is a perennial. I think UMass Lowell has had a really good year. Um, as we've talked about when they, they beat Bryant twice, very, very tough matchup for the Bulldogs. Um, and tough to win on the road in this league too. I mean, that's a theme in college basketball this year. It is difficult to win on the road. Um, and, you know, it speaks to uh, this conference as well. So, um, you know, I think if Bryant can consistently, you know, do the things they need to do uh, to win every night and, and carry that into March, that'll help. Um, you know, but obviously tonight's game, huge one because you want to have at least one home game on your floor and then give yourself the shot in the conference tournament. You know, you get a quarterfinal game at home and then you have a chance to take care of business. You do that. You go on the road for the semifinal final. Um, but at least you've got that shot. You know, you're in the top four in the conference, um, with a chance for, you know, two wins to get to the NCAA tournament difficult. Um, but this is where you're at. And so get at least one home game and that can propel you. 
Yeah, so if they win, I think they get at least the four, and I think if they win tonight and Binghamton loses, they'll get the three. Uh, it would be a massive disappointment if Bryant did not win both games this week. Massive. I can't. That can't be understated, considering the the way that they finished last year, who they brought back, who they brought in this year, um, and just the hype around the program. Uh, however, you do want to just roll the ball out there next week in a semifinal, if you can if you can get the next two and 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 take a swing at UMass Lowell or Vermont. No, we know it's cliche, but we know it's hard to 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 beat a team three times in one year. Um, UMass Lowell has a goose egg right now uh, in terms of their win-loss record on their home floor. They're 15-0. and 0. I believe they're one of like 10, 12 teams in the country that haven't lost a, a game at, at home. Uh, Vermont's only lost one. It was to Toledo, I believe, in the non-conference. So mm. if Vermont wins tonight, they're 10-1 and 1 at home. So you've got two of the best teams in the country on their home floor in your league Maybe that, you know, spells upset uh, if you can get there. But Bryant's got to get there first. I think they will get there. Uh, I think they do take care of Maine, who has played better of late. I think they do win a quarterfinal game at home, whether it be against a Binghamton, a UNBC, uh, and who's the other team I'm missing in the middle of that pack? Or New Hampshire. UNH. UNH, yeah. Uh, exactly, yeah. So, you, you know, you win those two. Okay, roll the ball out semifinal game and, and see where you land. Uh, and at that point you'll be 19 and 11 uh, and you'll have a chance for another 21 season. Yeah. Bryant, um, you know, would, would host if they win tonight at Maine, they would host uh, on Saturday, um, you know, and then they'd find themselves most likely on the road on Tuesday night for a semifinal. Uh, if they were playing Lowell, nice trip, not too bad. If you have to go to Vermont, a little more difficult. Uh, yeah. you know, and certainly in terms of home atmospheres, the folks in Burlington come out for those games. Uh, Patrick Jim is a really, really tough place to go. Uh, you know, can't imagine that, that the Catamounts are going to lose too many there. Um, you know, I'd almost rather play them in the final because you, you get a little more, you know, it's a little more hype there. You, you get a little bit more of that nervous energy than you do in a semifinal, uh, you know, a little more of a chance of, of anything can happen. You know, you can play that card a little bit more than in a semifinal. Uh, you know, I'd much rather play UMass Lowell in, in a semifinal and then play Vermont in the finals on the road. Um, you know, I, I, I think that would be my choice if I had one. Uh, but that's way down the road from now. Uh, you know, Brian has to take care of Maine tonight. Um, ultimately, we'd have to take care of a quarterfinal. Could be a tough one if they play UMBC. They've been swept by them. If, if that's a 4-5 game you know, or three, six game or something along those lines, you know, that's not going to be easy. Certainly. Um, right. You know, so Brian has everything to play for as they go to Maine, they handled the black bears pretty easily at home. Uh, that was a 71 53 final, but you know, as Brian has shown away from home, things are difficult. They've lost at UMBC the other night. They had a, an all time rally past NJIT, uh, a game that they trailed by double digits at the half and, and in the second half. Um, we're able to come back late and win by one, um, you know, so ultimately nothing will be easy for the Bulldogs here. Yeah. And I, I'll say this about that NJIT game. Um, I, I think it was, uh, it's a good sign going into March. It is because, okay. Yeah. You fall behind by 17, but second half, you play most of it without Sharif Gross Bullock. 
Um, and you have to figure some things out. It, it was a, I mean, it was a season on the line type moment for Bryant. Their backs were against the wall. Cliche. Yes, I know. But it was a moment where they needed to show some, all right, do we, do we want to do this? Do we want to actually, you know, come back here or do we want this to, to slip away a little bit? You know, and they didn't, they didn't let it slip away. It was, it was a sign of sort of a battle tested grit sort of thing that I think Jared Grasso and his staff have been looking for from this team. Um, and they showed it and they came back and they earned the victory. And that, that's a, that's sort of, a, I, I, whoever the opponent is, whatever the opponent is the opponent. Sure. NJIT is not one of the best teams in the league, but it's in their gym and they're up 17 and you rallied on them and you won. It's, it's a sign of grit. I think it's a feather in the cap. I think it's something that the staff has looked at and said, you know, this is, this is a good thing. And I saw, we saw some of those signs with the Vermont game too. Yeah. You didn't win down the stretch, whatever, but there were certain plays being made. They're going back and forth, blow for blow. You lose game by four. You know, Vermont's the conference champion already. They win in your gym. But look, you know, there's some signs there that if you're going to string together some of those winning plays, ultimately you're going to give yourself a chance. And I think they've shown that in the past, you know, week plus. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I certainly think that's fair. I, I think they've, you know, and, and I don't think I don't think there's ever been a question about Bryant's top end ability. Uh, sure. I mean, we've we've seen them play, um, you know, against good teams, against teams in better leagues. We we saw them win at Syracuse early in the year. Um, you know, that's the type of game that <laughs> Maury's not happy I bring that up. Um, you know, but that's uh, you know, that that hinted at what this could be. Um there a bird flying around? Sorry. Yeah, there was. No, no, there was. was. I think so. Yeah, there was. Maybe uh, Canadian geese, maybe uh, migrating in the <laughs> snow. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, you know, and as we look at at Bryant, uh, you know, we should bring up that the uh, our postseason really starts uh, here on Wednesday night uh, because the Bryant women will visit Vermont uh, after getting into the America East field as the number eight seed. Uh, winning two of their last three games to qualify for the field. Uh, the Bryant women will go to Vermont, the conference champions. Uh, that will be a 5 p.m. tip on Wednesday night in America East quarterfinal, uh, which will be the official start um, to our conference tournament season here in Rhode Island. Uh, you know, something that we very much look forward to. Um, and, you know, as we've illustrated over the past hour or so, we've got some really good storylines to follow here. Um, you know, I'm excited for it. I, I know I'll be in New York for the majority of next week for the Atlantic 10 men's tournament and uh, for the Big East men's tournament. But like you guys, I'm making contingency plans to try to get to Delaware or try to get to Princeton or, uh, you know, try to get to Lowell or, or wherever else the, the road to, through March might take us. Uh, you know, certainly having those conversations and, and planning that stuff out, sketching that stuff out on paper as we speak. Podcast suggestions are welcome to this podcast. Yes. Please yes. give us other podcasts to listen to because we're going to need them because we're going yeah. to be doing some traveling, whether that's on the road, whether that's in a plane, we're doing it. Yes. Maury, anything else? Yeah. No, this pod, this pod might be, uh, could be taped at an establishment in person uh, <laughs> somewhere along the Northeast Corridor uh, if we are so lucky. Let's go. Uh, over, over the next week week to 10 days we do the zoom thing which is great um but uh who knows where we'll be where we'll all um 
potentially be covering big time games and um who knows maybe an emergency pot will have to be thrown together if one of these teams pops out of the woodworks and makes a little run and yeah, maybe a little uh little mcmahon's public house in in brooklyn uh you know maybe. no let's go to the beer garden again let's go to that beer garden wherever the heck that was that place oh, is awesome yeah that's right that's right oh that's <laughs> right yes and it had the it had like the picnic table style thing yeah. could be perfect for a podcast did big old warehouse they converted into a uh a german beer hall that's right that's right was remember awesome that. remember that yeah. it was good it was good yeah on that particular night uh ruthie polinski gave us a touch of class at, at our table which we sorely need certainly thankful yeah thankful for that we, yeah she thankful for that shout out ruthie yeah, she, what's up yeah. shout out ruthie yeah <laughs> all right boys uh i will see you both uh, at the Friars game on Wednesday night, I'm sure, um, you know, and, and that will be one of many times over the next couple of weeks as we go here. Um, you know, thank you both. And thank you to our listeners for joining us as always. Uh, we appreciate you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.